You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the NHL All-Star break and the All-Star weekend. We're going to look at the last losing skid for the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, we're going to talk about Dustin Bufflin and the termination of his contract. And we'll look ahead to the NHL trade deadline and what the Winnipeg Jets should do. All of that and more on today's show. So segment number one, Kyle, it's been a couple of weeks since we did our last podcast. Uh, During our last podcast, the Jets were on a bit of a losing skid. Uh, The last one we did was on the 22nd of January, if, if I'm correct. The Jets were playing the Columbus that next night or that night. And then they were off for the All-Star break. Well, they lost to Columbus. They then lost again to Bruins after the All-Star break. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the All-Star game and then kind of get into this losing skid? Yeah, let's hit the All-Star weekend first. Okay, so what were your thoughts? Uh, seeing the whole event, seeing the whole weekend, where do you feel the state of the All-Star game is? I know there's a lot of people who are pretty against it online. Yeah, I mean, I actually missed, uh, I wasn't able to watch the All-Star game itself. I caught the uh, the night before the whole festivities of uh, the skills competition and everything to go along with that. Um, but, I mean, it was pretty much par for the course. We saw a few new events they were trying to do this year. Uh, one where they were uh, shooting pucks from essentially the, the second, like the upper deck, trying to hit uh, things on the ice. Just a few kind of different events trying to spice it up a little bit. I thought it was... Uh, not a too bad uh, skills competition uh, as far as that goes. It's cool to see the, the women's game going on. Although, I mean, it was a little bit slow, not because the women are slow, but because they made them play two 10-minute periods of three-on-three, just absolutely exhausting to play that much three-on-three uh, with essentially a really short bench for both teams. So just a little interesting quirk with that as well. But I thought overall it was a good night. Yeah, no, I did as well. I, the, again, I watched the skills competition in the Friday night, and the way to do it is you tape it, and then you watch it the next day so you can fast forward. Uh, me and my son watched it the next day. We had a great time uh, seeing the different fastest skater competitions and the hardest shot. He thought it was pretty neat, and again, he's four years old, and so I think the kids is definitely some of the target market for the All-Star Weekend. It's for people who are in the building and who get to interact with the stars, and it's for kids to a certain degree. Because I remember you and me watching it growing up. We would then go into our basement and try and do some of those skills competitions. We would do the shootout on each other. And we would pretend like we were these goaltenders back in the day. And I, I remember, I think you trying to be like, what was it, Tim Thomas or Tez, uh, Vesa Toscala and some of those goalies, if you remember that. Uh, but So I think that's the target market. And we kind of need to keep that in mind coming into the All-Star Weekend. And then my daughter was watching the girls three-on-three, and one of them was named Natalie, which is the same name as my daughter. And I was like, oh, look, there's Natalie. And she thought that was just the coolest thing, that there was a player on the ice that had her name. And I know some other friends of mine, they were posting up how they were watching with their daughters, and they were excited to see uh, women playing hockey and at the game. I think having the women there really only helps both games, and eventually if they can get a women's National Hockey League going that's more effective than what they currently have and the system that they currently have, I think that's really only going to help the game moving forward. And so are there ways to improve it still? Probably. I think the shooting off the second deck idea was fun. I think there's definitely ways, though, that they can help improve that yet to make that a little bit better for next year. But I think we should keep that in there. And then as far as the staples go, I kind of liked it. And then the skills, the actual games itself on the Saturday, like it's only going to be so fun. It's better than what they have in the NFL, but... I think we just kind of need to accept it for what it is. Yeah, I totally agree. My only uh, point, and I know I mentioned this in, in previous years as well, 
we need to bring out some more global superstars to the game. Um, everybody loved when Pronger destroyed Justin Bieber along the glass. That photo will live on in infamy forever. It, uh, the NHL does actually a really poor job of getting global ambassadors for the game. Uh, we know Snoop Dogg is a huge hockey fan, right? He goes to games in LA, watches the Kings play. Why isn't he there doing the play-by-play the entire time over the weekend? Why isn't he the local celebrity? Or why isn't, yes, they brought in former NHL players from St. Louis, and that's great for St. Louis fans, but for other people who might not be hockey fans, it gives them zero reason to tune in. If there was other players, let's say they have a, a celebrity game with different singers and performers, you would get the average person who isn't a hockey fan watching hockey just for that. So for me, that's one thing the NHL could improve on in, in years, uh, next year, the year after, things like that. But other than that, I, I mean, it's pretty much the same every time. Uh, it is what it is. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Mic up some of those celebrities, get them out there on the ice, get them on the benches. I think that's definitely the way to go. And they're doing some of that with mic'd up players and mic'd up coaches on the benches. But again, it's all hockey, like you said, getting people in from other markets or even trying to get some other athletes from other sports. And if all of a sudden you've got, okay, we're going to do the cross-sport game where we've got a couple of basketball players, a couple of football players, anybody from other sports who's ever stepped on ice, and even a few players who can't skate just for the comedic factor. Again, maybe something to look for uh, going forward. But again, you can only make the actual All-Star game so good be just because, again, the compete level is never really going to be there. And so now moving on from that, the Winnipeg Jets coming out of the All-Star break with a bye week. What do you think about that, kind of having that extended stretch off? Beneficial, not beneficial, lousy for the fans, have to wait so long to see games again? Your thoughts just kind of on that timetable? Yeah, I mean, it worked out uh, pretty much perfect for the team. Uh, they were in an absolutely free-fall mode before that, losing uh, a bunch of games in a row. I think it was five straight or four straight at that point. Four straight, uh, and then Boston get... was after the break. Yeah, so they couldn't get anything going before the break. Break happened at a perfect time. It's, it essentially gave everybody uh, a time to reset, relax. A uh, funny story, actually, I was talking to one of my coworkers uh, who went away um, to uh, to the Bahamas, actually, the same uh, week as the Jets bye week, he actually was on a plane back home with Nikolai Ehlers. So Ehlers getting some sun in the Bahamas uh, as well in that bye week. And then uh, that same coworker actually saw Dmitry Kulikov in Toronto flying back to Winnipeg as well. So the Jets going all over the place, taking some time, relaxing, uh, essentially getting ready for the grind uh, to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's really what it is now here over the next little while, the grind. And so now seeing where the Jets are, Seeing that they're out of a playoff spot, this long losing skid, what are your thoughts right now on the Jets making the playoffs? And what are your thoughts on coming out of this losing skid and where the team is as a whole? Because I know we kind of talked about this last time on the last episode where we were kind of just looking at the state of the team, panic mode and that kind of thing. But what are your thoughts right now after this skid has now been ended, but they've got points in two straight, but after losing to Nashville, your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely a tough game against Nashville, uh, losing in overtime. Uh, those are valuable points that just need to get. But there's two ways of looking at it. So there's still 30 games left in the season, or, or roughly, right? There's 25 to 30 games. Lots of time to make a move. Yes, it could be tough, but the two the two options are essentially go for it or, or don't. And obviously the Jets themselves are going to be trying to go for it. Some fans may be saying, well, is it time to, if another loss or two piles up, to 
to play some more rookies, maybe make a few more call-ups, and not necessarily tank, but, I mean, if you know you're not going to be making it anyways, give some other guys a shot. And I, we're seeing Appleton in the top six. He's been great there. Um, just seeing a few more of those, I think the Jets can still think they can make it. I still think the Jets make, can make it. Um, but if you're looking at some of the probabilities, the statistical models out there, I mean, the chances are getting pretty slim with every loss. I mean, the Jets, depending on which model you're looking at, are looking at about a 15 to 20% chance of making the playoffs right now, uh, just given the teams they have to jump over and the teams they're chasing. Yeah, because the bottom line is something needs to change. Either the players that are younger need something needs to finally click with them, or they need to go on a bit of a run with some players coming back from injury. Something needs to change because with the roster makeup that they've got right now and with everything going on, I just don't know if they're good enough to go on an extended run that they would basically need to have if they want to make the playoffs. Because you look at the lines, the top line, elite. Connor Shifley, Line. Great. They're actually ranked number eight out of first lines in the NHL. And this is according to Daily Faceoff. They have numbers based on line ratings. Then Ehlers, Wheeler, and Appleton ranked number 21 out of second lines. Out of third lines, uh, actually, Cop, Harkins, and Rozovic is number nine. And then the fourth line, though, number 29 out of all fourth lines. So near the bottom of the league, that's Bork, Shore, and Shaw. These are three guys who are basically AHL players who are getting a, a, an NHL role. Harkins is a guy who's an, been an AHL player just trying to cut it. Appleton's basically a borderline AHL player who's now just trying to make it as well. And you can say whether or not he's been looking good at times, but again, part of that is consistency. Same with defense. Again, Batetto and Spiza, and we've harped on them a lot. The defense right now, all of them, every pairing, even Morrissey and Pionk, are in the bottom third for D pairings across the league. Pionk and Morrissey are the 21st defensive line pairing one. Sneku and Kulikov are the 29th. And Spiza and Batetto are the 26th. And so again, you're going to need Connor Hellebuck to bail you out a lot, of, a lot of nights. And yes, a lot of this has to do with injury because of all the guys out. Perot, Lowry, Beaulieu, Pullman, Bufflin, Letestu, Little, Dahlstrom. The list goes on. The Jets have had a lot of injuries. And can you use that as an excuse? Yeah, definitely you can use that as an excuse. But it's going to be tough. Something needs to change if they want to make the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. The the one, um, the, the thing I don't, I, we're going to get to Bufflin a little bit later on, but there's some fans saying, well, if only we had Bufflin this season. And I understand the argument. Yeah, you're using, you're losing one of your best defensemen, if not your best defensemen, but Bufflin alone would not put this team to the top of the Central Division. No, Brian but... Little as your second-line center is not putting you in a very safe playoff position. Yes, those injuries matter, and sure, it's probably a couple points in the standings, but those two players alone, I've seen some fans say, well, that's the reason why we're out of the playoffs this year. Well, no, there, there's so many more issues going on beyond those injuries that the Winnipeg Jets need to address. Well, right now, to be fair, the Jets are three points out of a playoff spot. That is two wins. Two more wins, and the Jets would be in a playoff spot right now. So you're saying... Bufflin and Little in the lineup wouldn't be worth two more wins for the Winnipeg Jets this season? I mean, we had Little for, for a month and a half or two months, right? So I, he, he was there for part of it. So Bufflin's the only one that's been out there who hasn't been out there all year. You and take, yeah, maybe he's a couple of points in the standings. 
you, you can look it up. You can look at Bufflin's, Bufflin's historical uh, wins above replacement or anything like that because essentially it was a replacement level player coming in for him, but it's not going to move the needle that much over the course of the season. You're looking at a couple wins, if that. Well, yeah, but a couple of wins puts you in a playoff spot. And so that's the thing right now, right? Right. Two and wins would give you two, two wins. So let's say Bufflin gives you two wins. You're, you're then at the playoff line, right? You're not safely in the playoffs just because of one guy. Right. You'd be at the playoff line, but how many other games would get to overtime because Bufflin's there helping prevent uh, not another late-game comeback by the opposition? Or how many times would Bufflin score a goal when it matters the most? And we've seen him do that before. And so, and even just his influence in the room, you don't really know. And again, it's a lot of hypotheticals. Maybe they'd play worse and he wouldn't just wouldn't fit in, in the room. You don't know. But you would assume, based on his play in the past, that he would be there for a couple of more goals and the, I would argue, almost below replacement level player who's come in to to support in what, to replace him, it changes a lot of the dynamic. But again, again, a lot of hypotheticals. And so we're going to kind of get into that in the next segment. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to mention here? I heard some people talking about this next homestand for the Winnipeg Jets. When you look at their schedule right now, they've got a bunch of home games coming up. Yes, they're on the road Thursday, but then they've got a home game against the Senators, the Blackhawks, the Rangers, the Sharks, the Blackhawks again, and the Kings. So they've got six home games coming up in a row after Thursday night. It's going to be important for the Jets to do well on this next stretch. Some have said, and going back to these last couple of home games as well, they need to get like six out of nine. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's a tough stretch. I mean, you're playing teams in the hunt with you. So if you can win some of those games, great. But if you lose uh, the Jets meet Nashville one more time in about a month's time, not even if you lose that game again against Nashville, what does that do to you? You're also chasing against the Blackhawks. If you lose to Chicago in that game, let's say you lose against to Chicago and Nashville, but you win a few others, you're still not gaining points in the standings. I mean, you have to throw off, throw off a pretty good record in the next 10, 15, 20 games to have a shot. Yeah, and so I don't know what's going to change. Do you feel, one quick question about maybe ways to improve this lineup, without moving players in or out, do you think there's any way to maximize more in this lineup? I mean, beyond a few guys coming back from injury, that'll boost you a little bit. There's really there's really not much you can do. I mean, I think Wheeler as your second-line center gives you the best option, especially with Little and Lowry being out. There's really no other options at this point. Defensively, I like Morrissey and Peon together. Just run them hard for 25 minutes a night, and that's what you're going to have to do. I mean, that's that's really all you have for, for options. Yeah, and other than maybe splitting up line A, but I don't think you really are like line A and Shifley or maybe moving Kyle Connor down and Connor and Ehlers move down and Wheeler's playing with different players and maybe you move one of those guys down to play with Kopp and Roslovic to get a little bit more balance and you pull somebody up to the top line with Shifley and line A. Or, there are things to maybe put a little bit more balance offensively in the lineup. But again, things are looking pretty thin. Appleton's already have been pulled up into the top six to create some of that balance. And the Jets just need some guys coming back from injury. Little and Roz, or Little and Lowry would be a huge help. And so now we're going to get kind of get into that conversation in more depth about Dustin Bufflin, the situation, everything kind of getting more a little bit more clarity this week. And that's coming up next in segment number two. All right, so news coming out of Jets camp recently that the Winnipeg Jets and Dustin Bufflin mutually 
parting ways potentially. We still have no confirmation yet, but it sounds like Bufflin and the Jets are going to be parting ways. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, initially when I heard it, it kind of came as a relief that we're finally going to get some clarity and we're finally going to know what's happening. But on the other hand, I'm sad because I was still kind of holding out hope that Dustin Bufflin was going to be back this year as a Winnipeg Jet. And so if they do go this route, I would then say it's extremely unlikely that that would happen. Or what do you think on this? Yeah, I agree. Um, the problem is we don't know anything, right? Like, we don't know anything from the start of the year. We've been holding out hope since the start of the year, but eventually it gets to a point where a decision has to be made. Yeah, and, and there's been so much speculation about, well, he was injured, but he still tried to give it a shot, and then he wanted to retire, but then the Jets were the ones who coaxed him out of retirement and kind of put him on the suspended list, and then he got the surgery, and then he's been rehabbing, and then there's so many different reports and so many different stories. Are we ever actually going to know what happened here? The way the Jets and Bufflin operate, I kind of doubt it. That our, I don't know if we're ever going to find out, or maybe not for a while, other than more speculation and rumors. Yeah, I would totally agree. Bufflin's always been a guy to be uh, not very talkative to the media. Uh, Kevin Chevalier also being the exact same way. So there's a very good chance we never actually know what happened. Uh, it seems like Bufflin was contemplating retirement after being injured. Chevalier tried to talk him out of it. He didn't report because Bufflin says, well, I don't know what I want to do yet this year. Plus, he has to get surgery, rehab. Chevalier says, well, you know what? Like, take your time. Don't make a, a rash decision. He's suspended. Now, after he's had a surgery rehabbing, it sounds like he just doesn't really want to come back, which which is totally fair coming off of, I mean, he hasn't played a game in, in almost a year at this point. I mean, he played last April a little bit, but he's coming off an injury at that point. A couple ankle injuries. I mean, he's only played a handful of games in, in a full year span. Definitely tough for anybody to come back uh, from something like that, let alone being 34 years old and, and having uh, quite the toll taken on your body. So totally understandable from Bufflin's perspective. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out, especially in the upcoming days as he's probably going to be turning into an unrestricted free agent as he gets released from his contract. So now, who do you think is the bad guy in all of this? Or is there a bad guy? I know I see fans posting, oh, True North Sports and Entertainment, yada, 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 terminating, blah, blah, blah. Some people are like, oh, Dustin Bufflin doesn't want to play here, blah, 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 blah. He's the bad guy. He didn't disclose this, yada, yada, yada. Is there a bad guy? Is there not a bad guy? What do you think about that? And I know bad guy is a pretty broad term. Well, if, because we don't know the details, the, the tough part for me is, so if, if Bufflin had zero communication with any of the Jets' organization, if he never told Shovel Day off that he was not going to show up to camp until the day, day of training camp, then I think fault lies with Bufflin. On the other hand, had he been more open with Chevrolet and said, you know what, like I'm battling an ankle injury, like going to see how the summer goes, depending how it heals, like might have to do surgery. Like we don't know if he had that conversation, the Jets might have not been expecting him to show up at, to camp at all. And in that case, Bufflin's not the bad guy one bit. You could argue that the Jets should have let him just retire at, at that point if he's if he's thinking about it. Essentially, the Jets um, trying to coax them out of retirement maybe made their situation a little bit worse because you had this kind of cloud hanging where you don't know if the salary is going to count against you by the end of the year. 
You don't know if the NHLPA is going to get into it. You could say the Jets maybe made it worse on themselves, but I wouldn't say that makes Winnipeg the bad guy either. I mean, it's just an unfortunate situation. It really just depends how the communication was handled internally between those two parties. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. It's totally depending on how that communication was held, and we don't really know that. And, and it definitely felt, I felt at the beginning of this whole situation, it was kind of the Winnipeg Jets trying to just hold on to Bufflin and hold on to hope. And then now really at this point of the season, if Bufflin's wanted to retire this whole time, it's not on Bufflin. If he's been this whole time saying, no, I want to retire, I'm done, my ankle's not there, maybe he's just kind of giving in to True North saying, sure, I'll, I'll test it, I'll wait, maybe I'll come back, but we'll see. There's still, again, like you said, a lot of ifs and buts and we don't knows and who knows if we'll ever really know. And so a lot of speculation. But again, it's the whole waiting on the hoping and it kind of has turned this season. And again, you talk about wins above replacement, but it kind of put this season as kind of a lost season almost for the Winnipeg Jets. Where do you kind of see this on their development curve? Because the Jets were in the playoffs. They made it to the Western Conference Final. They took a step back. They lost in the first round. And then now this year, they're borderline making the playoffs at all. And so, and their defense is completely obliterated. Where do you see this on the development curve for the Jets as an organization? Yes, I mean, it definitely doesn't set them back to a a rebuild mode. That's for sure. It's going to be more of a, a retool on the fly Tough to do, but I think possible in this case. Uh, the Jets, when they made the playoffs uh, in 2014, had a bunch of veterans on the team. When they made the playoff run in 2018, it was led by guys like Wheeler, uh, Stastny on that team, Dustin Bufflin, a lot of those types of players. Now a few years later, um, and especially in a few years down the road from now, we don't know if Wheeler's going to be in the league three or four years from now. Brian Little might not be in the league three or four years from now. Matthew Perot, the same thing. Those types of veterans are going to be moving on. And this next wave of now or going to become veterans is going to be taking over. Guys like Shifley, Lowry, uh, Morrissey, Pionk, those guys in three, four, five years are going to be the veterans. So I think in the immediate future, you need a, a slight retool. This, this group is good enough to compete for a playoff spot next year if you uh, shore up your defense a little bit. But moving forward, you're still in good hands. So you draft smart. You have a few young guys, a, a few really good young defensive prospects coming up in the system, uh, Hanala, Samberg, uh, Chisholm potentially as well. You, you have this, the hope of guys like Veselainen. Uh, you still have David Gustafson played a bunch of games this year. Um, you have a bunch of young guys coming up in the next couple of years. If you, if you continue to draft well, this team will be a force two, three, four years down the road, maybe not next year. But once you get to that next level, I think the Winnipeg Jets are in good hands. And so this is kind of in the same conversation, and with no Bufflin this year, it was kind of on Twitter the other night. Did you see this conversation? I was the one replying as the Jets Nation podcast account. Did you see that conversation about the Jets are a young team? Paul Maurice made the comment, and then a bunch of people on Twitter were like, how in the world can he say that they're a young team? That is the most ridiculous statement. And and Art uh, with Jets Nation was kind of in that camp as well, and I just posted a, and I posted a, a clip from The Athletic it was every team ranked on average age, and the Winnipeg Jets were, I think, sixth youngest. Like, they're a very young team, and then everybody was like, well, those stats are, that's just age. Guys like Line A and 
Ehlers, they've played in the league for quite a while, and so they're veterans already, and the Jets are an experienced veteran group. <laughs> what do you think of this? Because I couldn't find any stat or any chart on other than me going through each team individually and calculating games played per person and then averaging it out, that would take a lot of work. I didn't have the time for it that night. And maybe that's something we could look into to see the validity of these comments one way or the other. But what are your thoughts on that as the Jets as a young team? And this kind of goes hand in hand with this Bufflin conversation with another veteran out of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, it all depends what you mean by a young team, right? Like, if you are talking strictly age, yeah, sure, Winnipeg Jets are young. If you're talking about amount of playoff games, eh, the Jets are fairly young still, right? We had that one run in 2018. We got bounced in the first round last year. We had that four-game debacle in 2014. So not hugely experienced as far as playoffs go, other than that one run. Being bounced in the first round doesn't really constitute playoff experience in my mind. Um, but you do have a few single veteran players, such as Bufflin, a Wheeler, who Little. hasn't There's been there. You, you can't. You can't. Years you can't count. Me. You can't count Bufflin in that list because he hasn't played at all this year. To say the Winnipeg Jets right. are a veteran group this year, that's you can't count Bufflin in that. No, exactly. I do understand the argument of if you're Line A coming at 18 years old. So the difference is you look at a guy like Line A coming into the NHL. It's his fourth season, right? A yeah. guy who's played three full seasons in the NHL, likely not inexperienced despite being young. Possibly. Maybe not. Line A was also part of the playoff run in 2018. I wouldn't call Line A young and inexperienced. He's young, but he's not really inexperienced. But then you have guys like Ehlers who spent a couple years developing. Mark Shifley spent a few years developing. I mean, now he's a little bit older, but uh, Neil Pion came to the NHL late. So Neil Pionk's a little bit older, but he's inexperienced. So you have that kind of opposite effect of a guy like Pionk or a guy like Kyle Connor, played an extra year of college, goes to the AHL, tears up the AHL for a year, and then makes a move to the NHL. So you have this wide range. The Jets have these young players. They have these guys that are experienced but young, guys that are older but inexperienced. It's just this weird blend of players. And then you're rolling out a guy like Billy Hanela, an 18-year-old rookie, David Gustafson, uh, also a rookie being 19 years old. I would say the Winnipeg Jets are young, but are they inexperienced? I'm not sure. If you go by Stanley Cup's one, yeah, they're inexperienced. There's Dustin Bufflin, and I think that's it. It's, it's just this weird mix of players that I wouldn't call them a veteran group, but I don't know if they're young and inexperienced either. It's just a combination. It all, it all depends on what you mean by inexperienced, and you, you summarized that pretty well in that last statement. But I look back, and... To me, even a player who's played two or three years in the league, or even even five and under, I would say is still inexperienced. You take a look at some teams, guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, those are experienced veteran players, and they've got guys on some of those teams that have been around the league for a while. And you look at some of those clubs that are a bit older, and they've got guys who've been around for seven, eight, nine, and ten seasons. They're in their 30s playing the Jets have hardly any players in their 30s who've been around for 10-plus seasons. I take a look, actually, to the Winnipeg Jets roster from the 2014-15 season. So five years ago, the Jets have five players that are still with the team. Blake Wheeler, Brian Little, who's missed most of this year, Mark Shifley, Matthew Perot, Adam Lowry, and 
Um, oh, yeah, Andrew Kopp played one game that year. So out of all of the Winnipeg Jets defensemen who are currently on this team, five years ago, the 2014-15 season, I guess maybe that was six seasons ago, either way, none of them are in the NHL. So your entire decor, including your starting goaltender, was not in the NHL five years ago. Five, six years ago. Oh, sorry, Kulikov. Yeah, great example of veteran there, right there. But uh, he, Lucas Beasley was as well. Right, but again, he was a borderline fringe NHLer, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think Potato, that would have been his first year in the league. Okay, but either way, my point goes is this, that the Winnipeg Jets, a lot of them have come into the league in the last five years. A lot of the players that we've been talking about today have come in in the last five. Connor, Line, Ehlers, Appleton, Harkins, Roslevic, Bork, uh, maybe not Bork, uh, Shore, Shaw, and then on the defense, uh, Pionk, Niku, like Hellebuck. There's a lot of inexperience there. And then the experienced guys, so to speak, I would really only put Wheeler, Little, and maybe Kulikov in that category of like, and Perot, of guys who've been around for like a substantial amount of time. And so I even saw somebody trying to claim, well, Rosovic's been around for two or three seasons. He's a vet. I don't know if two or three seasons really constitutes you're a veteran of this league. But again, everybody's definition of veteran is different. And so I was just trying to say that, well, and I guess it comes down to the, are they, are, are they still growing? And are they still developing? And I say, yeah, a lot of these players are still developing and maybe haven't hit their primes yet then still have room to grow. That was just my thought. And maybe you don't want to use it as an excuse for why they're playing poorly, but a lot of these, some of these guys don't have a lot of NHL. I really like to look as well as games played compared to another team's games played and where the Jets would fall. And just well, that's, that's the thing, though. But, but where do you become a veteran in games played? Like once you hit your 200th game, you're instantly a veteran. And that's where it's such a tough scale, right? Because you have a guy like Andrew Kopp, who I would consider a veteran at this point. But Andrew Kopp hasn't actually played that many games compared to some other guys, right? But then you have a guy like Patrick Laine was a good example. He played plenty of games, but is he still kind of young and inexperienced? Possibly. It's just such a it's such a difficult scale because it's not like once you hit a certain point you're suddenly experienced, right? And everybody's development curve is different, right? Some guys will peak after two or three seasons and then almost be on the downslope. We've seen that from some guys in the league; they peak really early. Some guys hit their stride really late, like Blake Wheeler didn't hit his stride till a little bit later in his career. And so everybody's development curve is different. And when you just take a look at the inexperience, especially for me on the blue line, the fourth line, guys who don't have a ton of NHL experience compared to like a guy like uh, Jason Spezza or um, a guy like Ryan Getzlav, who's playing lower on some of these lineups. That's a very different experience. And yeah, sometimes those guys maybe aren't necessarily the greatest players and you'd almost rather take a younger guy, but you just kind of look at the difference when you're talking about an inexperienced group versus an experienced group, and there's pros and cons to each. What's the right amount of experience? I don't know if anybody knows that. And maybe this is just kind of us talking in circles. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this before we talk about the trade deadline? No, that's about it. It's an interesting discussion and uh, definitely something I might uh, take up writing about the next week or two. 
So there you go. F- feel free to look up games played by each team or even just a couple teams that we feel are old compared to we feel are young and just kind of reality versus perception. I don't know. Just something to think about. All right. Next up, talking about the trade deadline and some targets for the Jets. All right, so for the final segment, we want to talk about the NHL trade deadline, which is coming up soon near the end of the month. The Winnipeg Jets, are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they kind of somewhere in the middle? Kind of being on the bubble is almost the worst place to be because you don't really know whether you should add or sell, and sometimes you just end up standing pat. What do you think for the Winnipeg Jets? Where should they be? Well, they're exactly in that middle. Like you said, um, there's the argument for, for buying and pushing to get into the playoffs. I mean, you don't have a terribly strong team this year, so you're probably not going to be going to the second, third rounds of the playoffs. But there's always the argument, hey, we're close. Let's push to get in, uh, just like they have the last couple of years. And then there's the other argument saying, well, you know what? We haven't played that well this year. Our team's struggling. A couple more losses in a row, and I mean – it's almost time to to maybe sell a little bit, trying to uh, grab another pick for this upcoming draft and, and kind of retool for next year. So what do you think they should do, buy, sell, or not? Because we, we've established that they're in the middle. What would you do? I say you, you stand. You don't really do either. So you're, I, I definitely am with you as far as rental pieces are concerned. Don't buy a rental for a push to the playoffs. Don't try and sell necessarily the future either. I'm kind of of the mindset that they should be making a hockey trade when we get close to the deadline. Sometimes teams are just looking to get shake things up. Maybe this is a chance where you can get a player for the future. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's the only re- the only way you make a move. But Paul Maurice himself said there's really no point getting a rental player. I mean, we need a guy to come in and, and play another year. Uh, we got guys on expiring contract. Kulikov's not going to be here next year. Uh, a few waiver wire pickups. Like, I don't want the same defensive core we have now is to be the same guys as next year. So you definitely have to to figure it out, whether that's through a trade, whether that's signing a few free agents in the offseason. You can start now by building uh, off a trade. Okay, so who do you want on your decor next season? Morrissey, Pionk, Niku, Beaulieu maybe in a fourth pairing, Tucker Pullman, do we still want him back? Where are you on this decor for next season? Yeah, I mean, I would be fine with having... um, Essentially, Pionk and Morrissey, uh, Pullman, Niku, and then you, you need to find a replacement for Spiza and Boteto, and then have somebody like Bolu as the kind of seventh man, uh, essentially playing that sort of role. I think any replacement that you get for Boteto and Spiza, you don't want them to be Boteto and Spiza on the third line. You want Pullman, Niku on the third line, and you want whoever you get to be at least a second pairing defenseman, right? That's kind of in yeah, my exactly. mind. At least, yep. or a top pairing and move down Pullman, or a top pairing and move down Morrissey, just to kind of create some more balance in the top four, and so you're not quite so top heavy. And so now, the the real question is then, who are the Jets targeting in a trade? And there's a lot of defensemen out there. If teams are maybe thinking about moving, you take a look at the TSN trade bait board, and here are some of the defensemen on the list. Tell me if any of these pique your interest. Alec Martinez from LA. He's 32. He's got one year left on his deal after this year. Sammy Vatnin is a right-shot defenseman, 28 years old. He's a UFA at the end of the season. Uh, Brendan Dillon is a UFA at the end of the year. He's only 29. Uh, Shane Gostas Bears, 26. He's got three years left on his deal. Uh, Gostas Bear has uh, 29, or sorry, 12 points in 40 games this year. Matt Dumba is on the board, a right-shot defenseman, 25. He's got three years left on his deal. 
Uh, Dylan DeMello out of Ottawa. Uh, he's 26. He's a UFA at the end of the year. Some of those names on the list, any of them pique your interest, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious in a guy like Alec Martinez, what he would bring. Um, if we're talking about young teams and needing some more experience, I mean, he's 32 years old, been around the league a while. He's got one year left on his deal, so you're not roped into a contract if it doesn't turn out well. But then it also gives you a full year to negotiate a new deal if you want to. I mean, that's kind of the, the ideal situation, having a guy with one year left. Um, because Vatman and Dylan, both UFAs, there's no point trading for a guy just to have him lock and you lose everything for nothing, essentially. Uh, Gostas bears an intriguing name, three years left. Uh, I'm curious what he would potentially cost. Uh, he's, um, somebody he... like Matt, Matt Dumbo would be, I think, maybe tough to get. A um, little bit further down on the list, Josh Manson would be an interesting um, idea. He's got two years left on his contract. Uh, he's 28 years old, so kind of sliding to that <clears throat> veteran territory, getting a little bit older. He could be a leader of kind of in that top four role. There's definitely some options out there. It's just all dependent on what's it, what's it going to cost and what Winnipeg's willing to give up. So what would you be willing to give up for one of these guys, and who would you be targeting? Would you be targeting Alec Martinez? I prefer a guy kind of in that middle range. I think Manson would be really good. It wouldn't cost as much. Matt Dumba as well, again. But he's making $6 million. And so depending on how much you want to spend, Gostas Bear is making four and a half with three years left on his deal. He had that really good year with the big offensive output, but then maybe some people have questions about his defensive abilities. Gostas Bear is on the left side. Dumba's on the right. Uh, Manson's on the right side as well. And so... The Jets had that really good right side of the defense, and now a lot of that is kind of left. Maybe then one of these players could kind of replace. What would you be willing to give up for one of these players? I really personally would be interested in Sammy Vatanen as a 28-year-old, but the only thing is then you'd have to be able to know that you could re-sign him if you were going to acquire him in a trade. But what would you be willing to kind of give up in one of these deals? Yeah, it's tough because the Jets are not in a position to give up another pick. Right, we we don't want to give up a first round, a second round pick. Essentially, that's the, the biggest no no for me in this trade deadline is not giving up the first round pick. Uh, it's supposed to be a very deep draft, lots of value in the mid first round, second round, lots of potential there. You do not want to give up your top picks at all. So, what's uh, in it- terms of prospects, I mean, all the guys that are prospects currently, you want to keep because. Like I mentioned before, a guy like Samberg or a Hainala or Chisholm, those are the guys that are going to be on your blue line in four, five, six years. You don't want to trade those guys away. They are the future help. Um, but, if you're looking to trade a roster piece, I mean, your defense is not worth anything. Your forwards potentially, I mean, the name, the easy name um, to, to throw out there is Jack Rosovic just because he's worked his way kind of out of the top six with Appleton coming in. He's kind of replaceable in the Jets lineup. Um, and yet he's still young enough that he probably brings some value to some other teams. So I know Rozovic's name gets thrown out there a lot. Rozovic would hold some value. I think there would be some potential for Appleton. And I think if you are looking for something in the immediate, is Dylan Sandberg going to make an impact at the NHL next season? I don't know. Is he going to make an impact at the NHL level the next year? Maybe. But if you're looking for help for next season, a guy who's going to step into the lineup in the top four, that's not going to be Dylan Sandberg. He's one of those players, and I liked Dylan Sandberg, but in order to get something, you need to give something up. And if you're not wanting to do a first or second round pick, then you have to look at what prospects are intriguing to other teams. And maybe it's a guy like 
Sandberg and Appleton if you're wanting to get a guy like Vatnin or Manson maybe to the Ducks who's trying to rebuild. You can get a player who can step in and play right away, but you have to give up some future. Maybe you could get a player like Matt Dumba, but again, salary comes into a factor as well. I think if you do want to get a piece for next season and we do need help on the blue line, acquiring one of those guys with a little bit of term left for a couple prospects, maybe signing somebody in the offseason, maybe you sign Vatanen in the offseason, you can convince him to come to Winnipeg. I think there you need to give something up. And I, I'm with you, though. Don't give up the first-round picks because of the, that potential. But you do need to have some balance there. You do need to give up something if you want to get somebody in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. And maybe a guy like David Gustafson's and name, I am people this. I mean, he played a, a decent role for Sweden in the World Juniors, uh, played for the Jets early this year. And he's got a lot of potential coming in in the next couple of years. Gustafson, a guy that could probably um, find himself I mean, the Jets don't want to trade him. Obviously, he's, he should be good in the future, but like you said, you got to give something to get something. I, I think Hanela is maybe the only guy that's you, the only prospect you don't move. Uh, Veselainen has not really shown much uh, in North America this year, so Hanela is maybe the only untouchable prospect at this point. Yeah, I was kind of there with you. I wasn't mentioning his name with good reason. Um, you're you're right there with I'm right there with you. Uh, no go for Hanela, but then basically anybody else is good to go, even with Rozovic and Appleton, if it is the right piece coming back. And I know we're going to talk about the trade deadline in more detail once more rumors come out and once we get closer, and then once this is made official with Dustin Bufflin. Do you think he's going to sign with another team? I know there, there there's always that threat with him becoming a UFA. Do you think he would? No, I mean, like I mentioned, he's played a few games in the last 12 months, there's very little chance he's in shape. By the time he gets into shape, the season's over, so I don't see it really happening. And honestly, if I'm Dustin Bufflin, is he actually going to get more than $7 million? Like, if he was actually legitimately wanting to play, why wouldn't he just play for the Winnipeg Jets, make the $7-plus million that he's expected to make, and then just go from there? I think if he was wanting to play, he would just come back to Winnipeg. And so, yeah, I am I am in agreement with you. He's probably not going to play this year in the NHL. Maybe if all of a sudden he's feeling better, he'll play next year. But again, that's still a long ways away. Well, that does it for today's podcast. A lot of different topics covered. If you want us to talk about anything, always hit us up on Twitter. We are at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.